Ephesians 3, 11 through 21. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Ephesians 3, 11 through 21. Starting at verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might, might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you might instruct us in prayer, that we might learn to draw near to God with all holy reverence and confidence as children to a father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We continue our study in the Lord's Prayer looking at the preface to the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven. Last week, we looked at the rule that God hath given for our direction in prayer. The whole word of God is of use to direct us in prayer, but the special rule of direction is that form of prayer which Christ taught his disciples, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Now we're considering the Lord's Prayer itself. Here, notice verse 11. God refers to his according to his eternal purpose, which he purposed where? Is it some mechanical decree that God issued? No, it's a decree that has its center in Christ itself, in Christ Jesus our Lord. God manifests his wisdom in the church according to his eternal purpose in Christ Jesus. Now note verse 12, in Christ Jesus in whom we have boldness. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we have this attitude of openness that stems from freedom or lack of fear. That's what this word boldness means. Someone who in their speech has boldness, they speak plainly. They say what they mean. They are outspoken. That's another way of translating this word. Or in the presence of high-ranking persons, confidence, boldness, or courage. Freiburg in his lexicon says in relation to God, boldness, confidence, a joyful sense of freedom. In Christ then, we have this joyful sense of freedom. We have this boldness. We have this unreservedness of speech. And the context we'll see is in prayer. We have this boldness in our prayers. And then he says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence. 
This word access is where someone takes you by the hand and they lead you to this great official. You don't have a right to go them, go to them until this person takes you by the hand and leads you to them and says, now you have access. This person is your ticket into the king or into the ruler, or in this case, into God himself. Led by the hand, how? By Christ, our mediator. He takes us and gives us this access and he gives us this confidence, this belief that we shall be heard, that we shall be received, that we shall not be cast out. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. All that come to the Father by me shall be saved. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And so we have access with confidence. We have boldness to come into the very throne room of God in Christ Jesus our Lord and by the faith of him, he says in verse 12. Now sometimes the word of can mean the object, it's called the objective genitive. The faith of Christ means faith in Christ. He is the object of our faith, as well as the source of our faith. He gives us our faith, but also we believe in him. And our confidence, our boldness, and our access to God is because we believe in Christ. Now note verse 14. The apostle says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the words bowing knees is one of the postures of the Bible for prayer. It does not mean there are not other postures. Sometimes people stand. Sometimes they look up. Sometimes they look down. Sometimes they bend their knee. And the word supplication in the Bible literally means to bow on your knee and make a request. Supplicare means to make a bent-kneed request to humble yourself. So when he says he bows his knees unto the Father, he's saying, I pray. But I don't just pray in any old way. I don't walk in and treat God like my buddy or my pal or like my equal that I can just talk to God like my buddy, as people say in a flippant way. Bow the knee, he says. That's how you show reverence. That's how you show worship. That's how you show respect to God. This posture is used then, or this figure of speech for prayer is used, showing that our request to God must be humble. God must either cast us down for pride or raise us up if we are humbled. And so Paul's humbling himself because he wants God to raise him up. So he bows his knee unto the Father, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now this word family is patria. It's where we get our word patriotic. And it means a tribe, a race, or those who trace back their ancestry to a common father. So the lineage of David, for example, or the tribe of Judah. Those would be the patrias. You might have a common ancestor in Jacob, but you don't trace back to him. You trace back to Benjamin or to Judah or to Ephraim. You trace back to one of them. So God has a tribe. God has a race. God has a family. And this family is both in heaven and it's on the earth. 
Who is the head of that family? Well, the father is, okay? The whole family, whether saints departed or saints on the earth, everyone has the name of the father stamped upon them. They all inherit his goods. They're all part of his testament. They all have his last name, so to speak, or his authority over them. So when we pray, when we bow, when we say, Our Father, which art in heaven, what are we saying? We are part of your family. We're part of your race. We're part of your household. We're part of your testament. And we get access to that in Christ Jesus. That's why we have access with boldness. That's why God has given us this freedom, this joy, this courage, this sense of freedom with joy in coming into his presence because of Christ Jesus. I note then this doctrine that the prayer, Our Father, is a gospel prayer. The prayer, Our Father, is a gospel prayer. Some people make it a magic charm. Say 35 pater nosters and your sins will be forgiven or something like this. Well, what is that? I got this magic charm. I say this form of words. I don't even know what I'm saying because it's in a foreign tongue or at least it used to be. Pater noster is Latin. Do you speak Latin? Because I don't. I can read it, kind of make it out, but do I speak it? No, I don't. So go say this magic charm, pater noster, and then start calling on the Virgin Mary and somehow everything will work out fine. No. This prayer is rooted, when we say our Father, it's rooted in the gospel of God, the purpose of God before the ages of eternity when he purposed all things in Christ Jesus that's how we have access that's how we have boldness he takes us as our mediator and brings us into the presence of God we have boldness in this our father because Christ is our brother we are heirs of God we are joint heirs with Christ that's how we call him our father this is a rebuke to the moralizing of our father. Some believe in the sad state of affairs in the church that all men have God for their father. No, they don't. That's not true. Just think about the sons of Eli. Did they have God for their father? And then you're calling God Belial, aren't you? So you can't say God, in a sense you could say, as the creator of all men, and Adam as our common ancestor, where did he come from? From God. So if you want to say naturally we all have God as Father in that sense, sure, that's true. Is that the sense in which the Lord's Prayer is given? No, not in the least. When we say our Father which art in heaven, we're saying it because Christ Jesus is our mediator. By faith in him, we have access with boldness to the Father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. It is for those, in other words, who have faith in Christ, who have Christ for their mediator. Do you have God as your Father? Then reckon with your privilege. God has said that you can call on him with boldness by Jesus Christ. Do you wish for the Father of lights to hear you? Some people pray, God, if you're there. Well, yes, he's there, of course, and you know he's there. 
But what's the use of that prayer? Do you not want God to hear you? Then come to him in Jesus' name. Trust in the Lord Jesus. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Then you have access with boldness. I note another doctrine here, that this prayer, our Father, teaches us to come with reverence in prayer. This prayer, our Father, especially which art in heaven, teaches us to come with reverence. Here the Apostle Paul bows his knee. He recognizes that God is the Father of the family, both of the saints departed and of the saints upon the earth. And notice, he doesn't go to the saints in heaven. He goes to the Father. He bows his knee. All the rest of them are named by the Father. So why go to the lessers? Go to the greater. Go to God himself. Bow your knee to him. The whole race of his people in heaven and upon earth. He is high. He is the ruler over all. This stands as a rebuke. The irreverent, irreverent flippant, or casual worship. Hey, God, what's up, buddy? Hey, Jesus, man, what's going on? I've heard people pray that way. It's disgusting. Our Father, we bow our knee to you. You are in heaven. We are upon the earth. That's what we're reminding ourselves of. Do you remember what Solomon said? Remember that God is in heaven and thou upon the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Don't say a lot to God. Just tell him what he told you to ask. Get to it and be done. Don't blather on before God. Don't treat him like your pal, like your Betty. He's not. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And especially, Paul says, I bow to him. I get on my knees. I supplicate for his mercy. Because if you come as his equal, that's exalting yourself. What does he do to those that exalt themselves? Throws them down to the ground. Do we want him to hear? Then we must come reverently, both in the words that we use and in our hearts and attitudes. And notice his prayer, verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Note here, God would grant you, that is the Ephesians, all the saints at Ephesus, and us through them, according to the riches of his glory. How much does God's treasure chest have in it? How much? Is it exhaustible? Can it run out? Is he going to overdraw his account? And he doesn't have enough riches left to hear what you say. Is that what it is? No. God is ready in his grace with this storehouse of goodness and mercy, he's ready for us to ask. He's ready for these prayers. He is willing. He is able. There's no shortness in his arm. And notice, God is able to strengthen us with might by his spirit in the inner man. This is what Paul prays for the Ephesians when he's there bowing before the Lord. God is able to help. He's able to renew us. He's able to give us strength when we're weary. Those that stumble, remember what she said, what Hannah said? Those that stumble, God raises them upright. He gives strength to the weary. Here we see it. Paul is praying. And this is according to God's will, isn't it? 
God is revealed. He wants his people to be strengthened with might in the inward man. He wants them to grow in the knowledge of God and obedience to his will. So we can pray this without any if it be your wills. It is his will. He has told us this. We may request it. I note then this doctrine. We are to pray for others with confidence. We are to pray for others with confidence because God is able and ready to help his people. Let us then exult in God's power to save. You remember Hannah rejoicing in God's salvation, her mouth enlarged over her adversaries. Why? Because she rejoiced in God's salvation. She knew that God could answer prayer and that he did in fact in her case. That's why she said those words and prayed that prayer. God is ready and willing to help. He has declared as much in his word that he is ready to answer these sorts of prayers. And then notice verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Here notice God's ability. Just think what do you think God can do? What do you think he's actually capable of doing in the work of grace in his people? Now say, that's not enough. Then make a request of God. God, would you please sanctify us and move us toward your glory? Would you move the gospel out so that all the nations of the earth will fear the Lord from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same? God can do more than that. You can ask, you can think, but you cannot really comprehend the ability of God to do these things. It's not even within our capacity to understand. It is beyond. And notice, he doesn't say, now unto God. And the Bible does this very intentionally. This is called a periphrase. There's a thing that he's talking about, or in this case, a person he's talking about, and he doesn't name the person straight away. He gives you a series of words and talks around it so that you know something about this person or this thing. What does he want us to know about God? What is God's name? Now unto, who is God? Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's God's name. Unto this God who is able to do this. It's like the word almighty, the almighty Jacob called him. Why? Because he's able to do above and beyond all that we could ask or think. This is the same God, the almighty God, all power in heaven and upon the earth. God's ability beyond what we can conceive or even make request for. And notice, it's not just that he is able but it is according to the power that worketh in us. God has already shown his willingness to do so. Not just the power, which is infinite and beyond comprehension, but the display of his power by working in us already by his grace, taking those dead in trespasses and sins, raising them to spiritual life as we see in Ephesians 1, God saving them by his grace, Ephesians 2, causing them to walk in his commandments, also in Ephesians 2, setting us on the predestined path of good works, 
Does that not take almighty power to raise the spiritually dead? To make friends out of enemies? To reconcile justice and the demands of the law with mercy and the demands of sinners who need mercy? Who can do that? Almighty God can. And he can do above and beyond what we can conceive. And he's already begun working. He's not merely able. He is ready and willing to work as he has begun. Please turn over to Ephesians 6, a few pages over. Page 1183. We'll just look at a few things here in the whole armor of God. Now often, when we think of the whole armor of God, we conceive of it as an individual soldier. And that's okay, but that's not what Paul is saying. Now, look there at verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. Now, let me ask you a question. What does the word you mean? In our modern parlance, it's generally one person we're talking to. And if we want to pluralize it, we have to do something to that, you all. We might have to do something like that, or all of you, so that they know that we're talking to not just one person, whoever it is we're talking to. Now, in the Bible, in the King James Bible, the word you is plural. And it refers to more than one person. In this case, to the entire church of the Ephesians. To the corporate body of Christians, in other words. You, all of you saints at Corinth, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand. Now it would be, if it were singular, take unto thee the whole armor of God. But it's not, it's plural. And this continues Throughout, the verb take unto you is plural. That ye may be able is plural. Having done all is plural. Stand in verse 14 is plural. Having your loins is plural. Having on the breastplate is plural. And your feet shod, your there is plural in verse 15. Above all, taking the shield of faith, taking is plural. Ye shall be able is plural. And take the helmet, verse 17 is plural, the, word, the verb take. And then notice verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now let me ask you, do you think praying is singular or plural? It's plural. Now, when we are taught by our Savior how to pray, what's the first word he teaches us? Our. Our Father. What is he saying? We're praying together with the people of God. Is it unlawful to pray by yourself? Of course not. Jesus said, you go into your closet. Don't be like the hypocrites who broadcast, hey, everybody, look at me, hurrah, I'm a prayer. No, there is a time for secret prayer. But there is a time for united and concerted prayer. And it is impious and disobedient to teach men otherwise. Oh, you can't pray publicly. That's, see, Jesus said, don't pray in public. No, he didn't. He said, don't pray in public to be praised by men. If your intention is to get praise from men and you pray publicly to do so, you are condemned by Jesus. 
But if you happen to pray publicly, that's in obedience to what God says. Our Father. Here he says, praying always. You all praying together always with all prayer and supplications in the Spirit and watching. Again, watching together. Do you know what happens if an army of one goes out? Do you think they win? Dead. As soon as they get onto the field, surrounded by men, killed. What do you need? Compatriots. You need other soldiers. You need fellow workers. You need those who together have put on the whole armor of God so that ye may be able to withstand together. This is why Satan divides the people of God. You over here, you over here, stay over there, keep away from them. Why? Because then he can attack us and kill us because we're not united together. We're not together with the whole armor of God. We're not praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for whom, Paul? All saints, all of the people of God, not just because he requests prayer for himself often, not just for ministers, but also for all of God's holy people, praying for them at all times with all supplications. Our catechism asks question 100, what doth the preface of the Lord's Prayer teach us? The answer comes back. The preface of the Lord's Prayer, which is, Our Father, which art in heaven, teacheth us to draw near to God with all holy reverence and confidence. Remember Paul bowing on his knee, calling upon the Father in heaven, from whom the whole family is named in heaven and upon earth, having access with boldness and confidence by Christ, as children to a father, able and ready to help us. There we see God doing exceeding abundantly, above and beyond all that we could ask or think. According to the working he's already done in us, he has shown his willingness, his readiness, his ability, and that we should pray with and for others, our Father, praying always with all prayer and supplication for all saints. And thus far, the exposition of the word of Almighty God. Let's pray.